Well, good afternoon. My name is Jeannie. Uh, I'm one of the lead pastors here uh, at Soul City Church, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into this third week. Uh, as, as Mallory just mentioned, we're in this series looking at the weapons of self-destruction. And today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack uh, the role that comparison plays in damaging and destroying our lives. And, and you know, we're, we're all actually quite similar. Uh, while, while we look different and we have different lives, we all walked in here and there is something that allows us to know that we are actually quite similar. You see, we are all comparing ourselves to someone or to something that we think we're supposed to be. We've all, we've all struggled with the temptation, you know, to look to our left or to look to our right to figure out if we're actually okay, to figure out if we're measuring up. And the prayer that was actually just on the screen, uh, it's a well-known prayer. Perhaps you've, you've seen it, perhaps you've prayed it. It's called the Serenity Prayer. And it's been used uh, as a prayer of freedom to help release the pressure that comparison actually causes in our life. Uh, the place where it has actually found its, its most permanent home is in the recovery process. Uh, it's known as the 12 steps. Maybe you've known someone that has found freedom uh, through this process. Maybe perhaps even yourself, uh, you have found freedom. And this prayer most likely has been a part of that journey for you. What's powerful actually about this prayer and the process of recovery is that every recovery meeting either starts with this prayer or ends with this prayer. And the prayer is actually prayed because what it does is it serves as a confession to the ongoing need for God. Participants in the meetings, what they do is they, they find themselves not as past strugglers or not as strugglers out in the future. They find themselves and they identify as current, present, ongoing strugglers in their journey towards sobriety. You see, even the introduction, even the introduction of a participant in one of these meetings, the way that they introduce themselves is by saying, hi, my name is Mary, and I am an alcoholic. You see, the very salutation, the very introduction of the person reveals that the current struggle is going on in their life. Because every person that has ever walked through recovery, every, per every person that has ever um, longed to find freedom and healing through recovery knows that sheer willpower to stay sober has never worked for anyone. So they don't identify as a past struggler, they identify as a present struggler. And what I want to do today is I, I actually want to borrow from the process of recovery. So I want to begin today by saying, my name is Jeannie, and I am a comparaholic. My name is Jeannie, and I am a comparaholic. You see, I, I have actually carried around one of these for most of my life. Now, I haven't literally carried around. That would be weird. Uh, I've carried an invisible an invisible measuring stick most of my life. And it has become a deadly weapon in my life. 
It has actually caused harm to myself. It has caused harm to the people that I love. And it has been this invisible measuring stick uh, that has been in my hand most of my life. And I'm sure that there are probably uh, earlier, earlier moments in my life when, when this measuring stick sort of first uh, super glued itself to my heart and to my mind. But the one that I'm drawn to, the one that I most remember in my life was when I was in the third grade. Uh, in the third grade, I was in Miss Loth's class, and I loved Miss Loth. She was the coolest third grade teacher, and I wanted to be just like her. And Miss Loth, uh, she decided that we were going to do a unit on understanding our teeth, on understanding our mouths. And so we studied teeth. And uh, she thought it would be fun for us third graders to actually like put on a little play on, uh, on teeth. And so she found this little play, and it was called Tilly the Tooth. And I, I still remember it. I still remember when she told us that we were going to do this play on Tilly the Tooth. And of course, I wanted to play the part of of Tilly. I wanted to be the star. I thought that this was my moment where I would rise into stardom as I played this tooth, Tilly the tooth. And I, and I remember that when she handed out the parts and when we all were cast into our different parts, I was not cast as Tilly the tooth. Instead, I was cast in the part of evil Alice Acid. I had to play the part of basically plaque. Okay, and, and, I, and I was given this role of evil Alice Acid, and I remember, I still remember the girl that got the part of Tilly the Tooth. To this day, she is my third grade nemesis, and she remains nameless in my story. I do not speak of her, but she was given, she was given this part of Tilly the Tooth, and, and I still remember her costume. It was like this white, beautiful, sparkly tooth costume that she got to wear. She got to walk around with this awesome, oversized toothbrush that like sparkled. And me, I was evil Alice Acid, and so my costume was green, and it was gross. And I looked like a tooth buddy on somebody's tooth. It was not a good costume. And I remember, I remember the whole process. All I wanted was to be better than the girl that was playing Tilly the Tooth. I subconsciously, in that moment, as a third grader, I don't even think I, I knew that I was doing it, but I subconsciously took this invisible measuring stick out. And what I did was I compared my success or my failure up against her. It wasn't about me doing my very best. What it was was I wanted to be better than her. And during most of my life, during most of my life, this invisible measuring stick has gone everywhere that I have gone. And this stick, this stick has caused me to ask questions. It has caused me to wonder in relationships, am I better? Am I smarter than them? Am I prettier? Am I kinder? I've even asked the question, am I humbler? It's like the Christian's version of comparison. I, I, I've even rated my humility up against other people's humility. I've measured myself against others, people I knew, people I didn't know. I've measured myself up against ideas that got formed in my mind. I, I've had these ideas in my mind that, that successful people, what I've defined 
as successful, that successful people have accomplished certain things by a certain you know, like age of their, of their life. Or I've, I've had this idea in my mind that good, real, like leaders that make a difference in the world, they never, ever, ever struggle with insecurity. And so I've measured myself up against these, these false ideas that I've created in my mind. I've even measured myself up against myself. And I, I wonder today, I wonder today if you have carried around a similar stick. I wonder if you've carried this same stick, if you've measured yourself against someone or something in your life. You might, you might even come into a place like this, into, into a church, and you've been doing this for a really long time. You, you've been going to church, you've been walking with Jesus, you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember. You've even like worked in churches perhaps, or, or you, know, you, you know how churches work. And when you come in here, what you do is you compare and you judge and you watch everything that's happening in here. And, and what you do is you, you sort of compare yourself up against everyone else in here. And in your mind, you have a, you have a quiet judgment that you've figured it all out. You know what it's like to have a, a thriving, growing relationship with God and everybody else just needs to come along and eventually figure it out. Or, or perhaps the opposite. When, when you come in here, maybe you haven't been doing this for very long and, and you're tempted to, to look around and to compare yourself to everyone else and you think, I, I definitely don't have my spiritual act together. And, and you look around at, at everyone else and, and what everyone else is doing and you think, there's, there's no way that I can compare to how everyone else is walking with God. And, and let alone like when they pull out the Bible and, and when we have to look in the Bible and we have to study the Bible, like I, I barely know the Bible. And so how could I ever compare myself to the people in this book? And, and you know, the amazing thing is, is, is this book is actually packed with men and women that loved God and they led unbelievable movements of faith, but they were riddled under the same weight and weapon of comparison. In fact, you, you can turn all the way to the left in this book, to the very first book, the book of Genesis. In fact, the first couple of chapters, Adam and Eve, the first two people, they measured and they compared this perfect and beautiful life that God had given to them. They measured and compared and they thought, we want more, we want to know more. And so they ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. The first two children that they had, Cain and Abel, their sons, they measured and they compared who ended up with a better job and who ended up bringing a better gift to God. And Cain's comparison and jealousy of Abel actually led to the very first murder. Sarah, Sarah, perhaps you know the story of Sarah. She measured her worth by her inability to have a child. Leah and Rachel, they were these two sisters and they were compared and they were measured by their physical beauty and who would be the sister that would get married first. Saul, he measured himself up against King David, and by measuring himself and comparing himself to David, it literally drove Saul mad. Martha, 
Perhaps you remember Martha. Martha, she measured and compared herself to her sister Mary. And she wondered which of them was actually more spiritual, the one sitting at the feet of Jesus or the one who was serving Jesus. The disciples, they kept cornering Jesus and they kept asking him questions of of who was going to actually one day sit on his right and sit on his left. And there are so many more. You see, what what is tucked so neatly into these pages has actually leapt into each of our lives. And you are no different than these people and I am no different than these people. Perhaps you have actually heard that comparison, comparison is the thief of joy. Perhaps you've heard that that phrase, that, that quote, and it is, it's true. Comparison is the thief of joy. But comparison is actually so much more than just a thief. You see, for many of us, it has actually become a full fledged enemy and weapon in our lives. And it has kept us from true contentment. It's because we, we measure, we measure everything and everyone. We measure and we compare and we use these measuring sticks as weapons in our life. You see, comparison is the thief of joy, but it is also the enemy of contentment. And there are two verses uh, that I want us to study together today. I want us to, to see what God might be trying to say to us, what he might be trying to whisper to those of us that are comparaholics, how he might want to, to help us in our journey. And, and now normally what we do is we actually ask you to, to take out the Bible and to, to turn to it. But today what I want to do is I actually want to study two verses from a different translation. We're going to study it from the message translation and, uh, and we're going to walk through it. So we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But I want to give you a little bit of context about these verses and where they fall uh, in the scriptures. Now there are a couple of lines that we're going to look at. As I said, there's two verses and these Verses actually come out of a letter that Paul wrote to the, the church in Galatia. This was a, a church and it was, it was actually in a Roman province called Galatia. It was actually a group of churches and Paul was a part of starting these churches. And so Paul had started these churches and what had happened was he left and he went on and started to do some other ministry and he found out that these churches were literally falling apart that they had become a mess, that there was just sin everywhere. And so Paul was really, really angry around what was going on in these churches. And so what Paul did was he wrote this letter. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have ever been really, really angry and you wrote just a scathing email? I mean, just a bad, bad email. Or perhaps you've been angry and you wrote a text message in and you thought to yourself, I better think before I send this. Nope, I'm not thinking. And you just hit send, right? Okay. That's like this letter. That's like, that's like the book of Galatians. Paul is not happy. And this is the letter that he, you know, he didn't type it or text it. He actually wrote it, most likely ascribed it for him. But so this is the letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And, and if he had to compare what was actually going on in this church with what was going on in other churches, this church was not doing so well. So we're going to study just a couple of lines from that letter, and we're going to look at uh, what God might want to say to us from this. So it's found in Galatians 6, 
starting with verse four. This is what it says. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given. Then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. So let's start at the beginning. Let's let's unpack what is Paul saying in these two verses. He starts out by saying, make a careful, a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given. So you and I, you and I are actually originals. You see, there's no one else like you. You and I are originals and we have one shot and we have one opportunity at this life. If you don't believe me, just ask Eminem, okay? He told us, Sue. Those of you that are wondering who Eminem is, don't worry, okay? There is only one you. There's only one me. And this passage does not say, go out and make a careful exploration of everyone else out there and what everyone else is doing and then compare yourselves to them. It says, make a careful exploration of you, of who you are, of who God created you to be. You see, one of the greatest gateways that we have to freedom when it comes to comparison is to recognize that most likely, most likely in your lifetime, there will always be someone on this planet that is smarter than you. There will always be someone that's prettier, someone that's thinner, someone that's richer, someone that is wiser, perhaps older, perhaps even younger. But that someone will never be you. There's only one you. And if you are unhappy, if you are unhappy with what you have and with who you are, my question for you this morning is what on earth causes you to believe that you will be happy with more? What on earth causes you to actually believe that you're going to be happier with more? You see, comparison is an act of cruelty on you. Comparison is an act of cruelty on you. It is the tearing down and the tearing apart of the masterpiece that God has designed in you and who you think, who you think you need to actually be pales in comparison to who you already are. Who you think you need to be pales in comparison to who you already are. You see, most of us, we have a me that we think we should be. We have a me that we think we should be. There's a me I think I should be. It, it's usually, it usually gets formed, and, and this is probably the case for you, this has been the case for me. It usually gets formed from an assortment of people. It's sometimes people I know, sometimes people I don't know. It's celebrities, it's, it's people that I see up on billboards, people that I see in magazines or in movies. And, and if I'm just being honest, the me that I have created in my mind She's awesome. <laughs> She's amazing, really. I, I mean, this me that I have created in my mind and in my, in my being, oh my gosh, I, you've never met anybody like her. Okay, this, this me that is in my mind, she's way funnier 
than Tina Fey, way funnier than Tina Fey. She's way humbler than Mother Teresa, okay? <laughs> she also is as courageous as Esther in the Bible. She has a wardrobe exclusively from anthropology. And she is, of course, she's of course, she is still married to Jarrett. But Jarrett, in my mind, <laughs> Jarrett, in my mind, I mean, he has a voice and he has dance moves and perhaps even the bank account of Justin Timberlake, okay? <laughs> this woman that I have created in my mind, she is amazing, but you know what she is not? She's not real. She's not real. She was not fearfully and wonderfully made. She was not knit together by the God of the universe. She was not patterned after the very image of God. You see, there is a me that only I can be. And when I try to be someone else, I can't be the one and only me that God longs for me to be. When, when people describe me, when people describe who I am in all of my 40 years on this planet, do you know what words have never come after my name? No one has ever said about me, Jeannie, she is, she's, just, she's just precious and she is so meek. <laughs> no one has ever described me that way. Do you know why? It's because it's not me. I am not precious and meek and I probably will never ever, ever be precious and meek. And when I try to be a me that I think I should be, I end up comparing everyone else's outsides to my insides. Anne Lamott, I love this, she said that we should never compare your insides to everyone else's outsides. And I wonder, I wonder for you today if, if there is a you that you think you should be. If there's a version of yourself that you think is better than the version that you actually are today, a, a better you. So th there's the me that I think I should be. And then oftentimes there's the me that I think others want me to be. Th there's this me that I think other people want me to be. And, and whether it's you know, people in authority, whether it's parents or bosses, maybe it's a, it's a coworker and, and we think this person wants us to be this way, or, or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's a child, maybe someone that you don't even know, someone that you follow on social media. So many of us, what we do is, is we take this, this measuring stick and we determine who we think these people who did not make us want us to be. And what we do is we actually give them a power that most of the time they were never looking for. And we live under this, this self-imposed pressure to always have it all together, to have it all figured out. And what we do is we get our lives turned inside out on an approval and an appearance treadmill because we think that there is a me that others want us to be. And I wonder, I wonder for you today, is there, is there someone or are there some people that you look to to define yourself? Some people that you think, gosh, I think they really want me to be this. And so I've got to figure out how I can be that, how I can measure up to what I think they want me to be. Then there's also 
the me that I think God wants me to be. You see, when it comes to this measuring stick with God, oftentimes the quiet whispers in our heart and our mind are around this this false belief that God is, is disapproving and not accepting of who we are. So what we do is we do all sorts of things to try to to hide from God or to perform for God or to sort of make it up to God. And do you know, God has never, ever, ever had an agenda for you to be something that he didn't create you to be. God has never created a hoop for you to jump through, to become something else than the original creation that he poured into you. See, God is is this incredible, perfect parent that has only ever desired that we live into all of who he created us to be, which is a life free from performance and a life free from comparison. You see, it's impossible. It's impossible to actually love someone the way that God loves us with a genuine and pure love while also pushing them to perform. And I wonder, I wonder if, if the picture that you have of God is of a God that wants you to be something that he never created you to be. So there are th- these me's that I think I should be, the me that I think others want me to be, the me that I think God wants me to be, but there is only one me that I can be. That's why Paul, in this passage, he says so clearly, explore who you are. Explore who you are and the unique work that you were created to do. Be your one and only you. And I will be my one and only me. And Paul goes on and and he says in this passage, so here's what I want you to do. Sink yourself as deep as you can into them. Paul says, dive as deep, dive as deep as you possibly can into the original person that God crafted you to be. Because when we sink ourselves into, complete, into the completeness of how God wired us together, what we end up experiencing is true contentment. You see, when you end up swimming in the peace and the fulfillment of a life in Jesus, what happens is you sink so down into that. You experience peace. You experience contentment. And what happens is you don't have to pop your head back up again. You don't have to go looking around at everyone else and wondering what everyone else is doing because you have sunk down into the true peace and contentment that is only found in Christ Jesus. The need to compare gets drowned in the waters of contentment. And Paul says that the way to sink deep into these waters is not to be impressed with yourself. The passage goes on and says, don't be impressed with yourself and to not compare yourself with others. You see, there has never, ever, ever in the history of the world, there has never been a win in comparison Everyone always loses. Everyone always loses in comparison. You lose, and the person you compare yourself to, they lose. You see, if we measure ourselves, when we take these invisible measuring sticks out, and when we measure ourselves up against someone else, 
And we get this sense, we get this quiet sense in our minds, and we never say it out loud, but we get this quiet sense in our minds that we're doing better than them, that we have a, a happier life, you know, that, that, that our spouse is, is prettier or handsomer, that our bank account is, is fuller, that our followers, they hit like way more often. The numbers on the scale are smaller. What happens? What happens when we do that, when we measure ourselves and we think we're actually doing better? Do you know what we become? We become prideful. We become prideful. And we think, we think we win. But when we measure ourselves against someone and we think, I think they're doing better. I actually think that they must have a, a happier life. I mean, they have a spouse. I don't, I don't even have a spouse. Their bank account has got to be much fuller than mine. I mean, their followers, not only do they like them all the time, but gosh, they comment and they say all sorts of glowing things all over their Facebook wall. And do you know what happens when that is done? We become insecure. And we think that they win. But what happens is we both lose, don't we? Because you're either prideful or you're insecure. You're either prideful or you're insecure. And that's why Paul actually says, he goes on to say in this verse, so here's what you need to do. Each of you, each of you, you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. You see, you and I, we were intended to take responsibility for only one life. The one life that we need to measure is our own. And the person we measure it up against is Jesus. And this is how we will live the most creative and best life. And I can't tell you how much I long for us as a community, how much I long for us as a church to actually be free, to actually be free from the trap of comparison, to actually be free from these, to not have to carry these around with us. You see, these sticks, when we carry these around, they become weapons. They become weapons in our relationship with one another. And I, the reason I know that is because what started in the third grade for me has wrapped itself around so many areas of my life. I've seen how comparison has hurt friendships in my life. I've seen how comparison has actually hindered and harmed my marriage I look at other people's marriages and I think, gosh, you know, this looks perfect about their marriage. That looks perfect about their marriage. I mean, if only my marriage was like that. It's hindered my parenting. I've watched how it's affected me as a mom. Simple, little, tiny things that, that creep into my mind. With my five-year-old, I'll, I'll notice how, you know, I'll, I'll go to the class and I'll see all these other kids and, and they're like writing and reading like they literally at age four went to Harvard, graduated from Harvard, and then came back to kindergarten. <laughs> and I'm like, 
oh man, geez, you're in trouble. Like you're, you're in big, big trouble. And, and I'll compare myself as a mom. And, and I'll literally, I'll, I'll say things to myself, gosh, you, you gotta read with the kids more. You gotta get like workbooks upon workbooks. You gotta download lots of apps and they've gotta do those apps. And you know, they're never gonna get into this school one day. I've watched what it's done to me as a leader. How I look at different leaders. And I don't celebrate. I don't celebrate their leadership. I don't celebrate what God is doing through them in their corner of the kingdom. I compare myself to them as leaders. I compare how I teach. I even compare at times how I follow Jesus compared to how others follow Jesus. The true confession is when Jarrett told me he wanted me to teach on comparison, I started Googling and, and looking and seeing how many preachers had preached on comparison. And I listened to all of their sermons. And do you know what I did while I listened to their sermons, while I researched and while I studied and while I was supposed to be writing my own sermon on comparison? I compared myself to them. And any time, any time, we hold up this stick in comparison to anything but Jesus. What happens is we are held captive from true contentment in Christ. And Soul City, I so, I so long for us as a community and as a church to no longer use these as weapons against one another. Because there is a very real enemy. There's a very real enemy and that enemy longs for you to compare yourself instead of celebrate. That enemy so wants you to, to measure yourself up against one another instead of actually ministering to one another. There is an enemy that wants you to walk around and wants you to judge one another instead of actually rejoicing with one another. And every time we do that, every time we do that, we lose. We lose and the church loses. And what Jesus did, what Jesus did, and this is why I love Jesus so much, what Jesus did on another piece of wood, when he actually hung on a cross for your sin and for mine, is what allows us to say no more. I will not allow comparison to be the enemy to my true contentment in Christ. Because when Jesus, when he yelled out from two planks of wood that it is finished, that means that it was finished once and for all. That what he did on the cross, that there was a finality to it. That we don't have to live under the weight of comparison, but instead he broke, he literally broke the need for comparison in our lives. That's what Jesus does. That's the kind of freedom that he longs for you to experience and for me to experience. And when we actually confess, and when we actually say, I am a comparaholic. I'm a comparaholic. And I need Jesus. I need Jesus. We start to actually live in true contentment 
We start to experience freedom. We start to taste peace. And so one of the things that we want to do as we, as we close our time today is underneath your seat, there's actually a ruler and there's a Sharpie. And I'm going to ask you to grab it and to pull it out, both the ruler and the marker. And don't worry, I'm not going to test your strength and ask you to break the ruler this morning. Instead, we want to send you home. We want to send you home with this ruler intact to serve as a reminder. To serve as a reminder that the person that we are invited to measure our life against is Jesus. You know, Paul, uh, who wrote the verses that, that we studied this morning, he, he wrote another letter. And in that letter um, that he wrote to another church, um, the church at Ephesus, he said these words, watch what Jesus does and then you do it. Watch what Jesus does. If you want to know who to measure yourself up against, if you want to know who to, who to pull the measuring stick out up against, pull it out up against Jesus. Watch what Jesus does and then do it. Watch, watch how he lived and then start to live that way. And what I want to invite you to do this morning is to actually take your Sharpie and to actually write the name Jesus on your ruler. To write the name Jesus on your ruler. Now, I know, I'm just going to get it out of the way, it's so predictable, right? We're in church, of course, the answer is Jesus, right? In fact, last night, Jared and I were talking and he's like, babe, what if you had them write like, you know, like comparison is the, is the you know, the thief of contentment or, you know, and I was like, I'll forget that. I, I, I won't even say it right. Because for me, what has actually set me free, what has actually set me free is Jesus. Jesus is and always will be our hope. He is and always will be the answer. You and I, we can't do this on our own. Sheer, sheer willpower will not keep you from comparison. You cannot will yourself to no longer comparing. You can't work extra hard, discipline yourself extra hard. Only Jesus can actually set you free from the weight of comparison. Jesus is the only hope. He's the only hope that we have for a life of freedom in the midst of the struggle with comparison. What I wanna do is I wanna spend a few moments confessing our need for Jesus. Actually inviting him into the spaces and the places where we compare and confessing to him that we need him. That it wasn't just something that we needed him to do in the past or something that we're hoping he's gonna do in the future, but right now, in this moment, in the present, in this ongoing struggle, that we need Jesus. That he can replace, he can replace this treadmill of comparison with true contentment that is found in him. 
So I wanna pray for us. And then we're gonna spend a few moments worshiping. So Jesus, we come before you right now. And Lord, we wanna confess. We wanna confess that we are comparaholics. We confess, Lord, that for many of us in this room, we compare the season of life that we're in to an idea of, of someplace else that we think we should be by now. We compare our season of life to the season of life that somebody else is in. God, for many of us, we, we compare our relational world and, and our marriages and our children or, or our singleness to, to that of somebody else, God. For many of us, God, we confess that we compare ourselves physically. And we look at somebody else and we look at ourselves. And God, we, we tear down. We tear down the masterpiece of who we are in you. God, we even come before you right now and if we're really honest, Lord, there have been times where we've even compared this church. We've compared this church to another church. We've compared this church to something we wish it was or something we think it should be. And God, we've even, we've even torn down and torn apart your bride, your beautiful bride, your beautiful church. And Jesus, we want to look to you. We want to look to you. We want to imitate your life. You're the one that we want to hold our measuring sticks up against. And we want to do what you do and live our lives like you have. So God, we confess that most likely we will probably compare again. That this is an ongoing, present confession. It's a present need that we have for you. And Jesus, there is no one else like you. There is nothing else like you. And what you have done through your death and through your resurrection has ultimately set us free. And so God, we wanna pray the same prayer that we began with. God, would you grant us, would you grant us true serenity, true contentment, to accept the things that we can't change. To stop comparing. And God, would you, would you give us the courage to participate in the life that you have called us to live, to participate in the work of transformation, to participate in changing the things that we can change. And God, would you grant us the wisdom to actually know the difference? And Jesus, there is, there is none like you. There is none like you. And we love you. And our hope is in you. And thank you for the true contentment that we find only in a relationship with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.